everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book In the Arena by Isabel Kuhn, with permission of OMF International, and we are reading Chapter 7, Part 3. This left only Charles and me for the November session of RSBC at Oak Flat. John and my dear nurse had no sooner disappeared than harassment arrived. Danny developed a need for a new milk formula, warning of which he could not speak to us, of course, so he just cried all the time. This was the first installment of trouble. The circular of those days tells more. They left us but one day when Charles came down with what turned out to be rheumatic fever. At the same time, our goat herd took sick and also the girl who does the laundry. The rain came down. Then I got word that Colonel Hesse, with his number two wife, was coming through, which I suppose meant that we must entertain them. What would I do without Ava's help? I didn't know. Charles' cabin was down the mountain from ours, and all his mills had to be carried to him. I have memories of trying to carry his tray down that slippery path, the rain drizzling on me and my hands shaking with weakness. I was so tired from sleepless nights with Danny. And the November Bible school looming up on the horizon? Should we call it off? It seemed utterly impossible that we could hold it. Then we reminded each other that this was beginning to be a chronic state with our Bible school plans. Impossible to hold it? And yet God had seen us through every time we stepped out in faith and tried to do it. As we prayed together, light came. Charles said to me, There is Orville Carson at Ludl. He's not been in the work very long, but he's quick at the language, and he taught in the Ludl RSBC. He could surely help teach our November session. I helped Mr. Cook. I'm sure they would lend Orville to us. Maybe he could come early and help nurse me. So a messenger was dispatched to Ludl to explain our predicament and to ask for Orville Carson. In the meantime, well, Charles and I laughed over the memory of one grim evening. It was Sunday. Ava had gone to church. I was going to go to bed early, but had a feeling I should go down to Charles' cabin first and see if he needed any help. He did. The rheumatic fever was getting underway now, and he was in such pain he needed a shot of morphine. So back up the slippery path, I went to sterilize the hypodermic needle. Behold, the charcoal fire in the kitchen was almost out. With much blowing and coaxing, I got a few coals hot enough to boil it in the ten minutes required. Then down the mountainside, I went again with a pot and needle. But I'd never given an injection before this, as John had always done it for me. Charles was suffering, yet I hated to experiment on him. I felt I must confess my inexperience to him. Oh, it's easy, said Charles, picking up the needle and fitting it into the syringe. You just want to make sure there's no bubble. And to show me how, he held the syringe up, pressed the plunger, and shot my carefully sterilized needle through the open window into the wet mud of the dark mountainside. I had no other needle, so had to take a lantern and search for that one. Then I trudged up the mountain to our kitchen, only to find that the fire was out. I forgot what happened after that. Probably church was dismissed and Ava came to my rescue, for lighting charcoal fires was never where I shone. My first lesson in giving injection. Oh, it's easy. All you do is shoot it out the window. Small harassments, they come to everyone. What are we to do with them or in them? Seek a promise from the Lord. Nothing is too small, but that he will respond to comfort and to guide. My diary says that his word to me those days was Psalm 44, 4. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. He does not rule out small harassments, but he does rule that they shall not overcome us, and they didn't. Orville arrived in due time. Colonel Hesse and wife number two also arrived, but as he planned that she stay indefinitely at Oak Flat Village, he took over the clinic house and set her up there with her own household establishment. They were no trouble to me. 
and baby Dan's crying spells at night, I soon was using goat milk to supplement nursing him. But I could find no formula for goat's milk, and as it was a heavier curd than cow's milk, Danny had much colic, and that's why I cried so much. But dear little Ava insisted upon lifting this burden from me. I would never ask anyone to take over my baby at night. That was my responsibility, I felt. But I did not have to ask. As soon as he awoke and raised his voice in protesting colic pains, Ava could hear him, for there were only bamboo walls between us. Soon there was a patter of small feet down the hall and a knock at my door. Give him to me, Mama, says Ava's voice. I've got the charcoal fire going and his milk is warm. And off she would trot with him. What magic she used, I do not know. But in less than an hour, back she would come with a sound asleep little bundle comforted. She knew how to bury hot coals in the blazer and then blow them up again in a hot fire. I tried to learn how to save Ava's self-imposed night labor. But all I ever succeeded in doing was to blow the ashes all over the bedroom, nearly choke myself with them, and completely kill whatever coals had ever been alive. At last I gave up trying and allowed Ava to make her nightly excursion down the hall. You will wonder why I did not use a vacuum flask. Ours broke and there was no other place near where I could get another one. So you see, God was my king and he did decree victories for this poor Jacob. And again, he had proven that in harassments was a good place to get to know him. Before 1944 dawned, the Japanese had entered the Sanwin Canyon. Colonel Hesse bringing his wife to live in our village was because he foresaw this. But of course, it also put us in the most dangerous limelight. With the enemy right across the river from us, we stood and watched the town of Luchang go up in flames as the Japanese fired it. Surely now we could not keep a normal schedule, especially when the year's program began with the girls' Bible school. The girls would never have the faith and courage to come, would they? But the past two years of quietly carrying on our normal projects had unconsciously been training the Lesu Church, as well as ourselves, in the power of God to give victory on the platform of harassments. To tell the truth, I was inwardly hoping the girls would not come. Is not that a confession? But Charles Peterson had been sent out to civilization for a three months sick rest. And although my own dear John was with me this time, did he not come down with influenza? I also had a baby to care for. And altogether, as I faced the girls' Bible school, my courage oozed away. And I fear it pulled faith with it. But is it not wonderful that if we are faithless, he will remain faithful? 2 Timothy 2.13 He knew that really and truly in the bottom of my heart, I wanted that girls' Bible school. They came, 25 of them, and the bright ones from the West Bank among them. And what a good time we had despite more harassments. Baby caught the flu from John, and then I caught it. GBS was accomplished. Thank you, Lord. What's next on the program? Oh, boys' Bible school. But this time, it truly is impossible. Each test became a little severer than the last one. John had to leave on March 9th for Chungking, yearly conference of the CIM superintendents. Charles was not yet back from sick leave, and I would be the only white missionary on the staff. Ava did not have sufficient training to teach boys, and they, of course, were not interested in knitting, and etc. We were out of writing materials, pencils, scribblers, paper, ink. I had ordered them, but the Japanese were on one road in between us and Pashan, the city where we purchased our supplies, and I fear they would cross over to the other remaining road, making carriers unwilling to make the trip. Try to have a Bible school with only one teacher and possibly no writing materials? Was not that impossible? But the Lesu Church surprised me. 
this adventuring with God was revealing a new joy and zest in them. To my astonishment, I found the church leaders were very anxious. At least Mama canceled the school. Oh, ho, I said to myself, all right, my lads. To them, I said, I will trust God for the writing supplies. If the Lesu Church will consent to set free two of the trained evangelists from their village pastoral duties to come and help teach. They withdrew to consult over that and returned beaming. We consent, they said. We have appointed teachers Luke Fish and Thomas Hemp to help you teach. They will be excused from other duties during March, so the school was announced. But the enemies of our souls had not exhausted their repertoire of harassments. Assembly day came and no writing supplies, but also no teacher Thomas and no boys from the West Bank of the Sawin. Thomas was a pastor across the river. Luke was a pastor on Oak Flat Mountain where we lived. Luke and I faced each other in dismay that evening. It's persecution, said Luke grimly, and I had felt the same. It required a military pass to get across the river, as we had said. There had been no difficulties about this before, as John was officially personal advisor to the general. Colonel Hesse was now a general. But a new personality had appeared on the scene. A Chinese small official had been sent to the West Bank of the Salween to teach Chinese to the Lesu young people and to recruit Lesu young men for the military school at Tali. I did not know that the granting of West Bank passes to cross the Salween was now in this man's hands. But from his peculiar efforts to win over the Christian young people, I had suspected him of being a red infiltrator. He was. A few years later, he was executed in Kunming as a communist spy. But this was 1943, and we had no proof of anything. There was nothing to do but pray. And behind it was Satan. And God is the only one who can deal with him. So down on our knees we went. Now I will quote from the circular of that time. As we prayed for Thomas's release, the Lord worked. Prepare for a surprise. Into our home here dropped some American soldiers. Whether they dropped from the sky or came in by the road, the censor would not let me tell you. But after a good square American meal, the poor fellows had not seen such food, simple as it is, for a long time. And wasn't it fun stuffing them? They asked if they could do anything for us, and as they have influence, we got to pull the proper wire. In the evening of the fifth day at school, Thomas arrived. Then blessings avalanched. Thomas brought Lucas and three pupils with him. There had been 11 who wanted to come, but on refusal of the past, the others had gone back home. The morning after we welcomed them, in walked the paper and pencils. Then hard on their heels, without warning, in comes Charles Peterson. Well, the boys' Bible school then began with such a limp, ended with a great leap. The influx of more teachers meant more individual attention, and the lay suit teachers got practice in doing some things they had never thought they could do. A new chorus was needed, and as I had not time to compose one, I gave Luke a tune and told him to find the words. He produced a soldier theme, and it was a great hit. Then the task of designing a study certificate had to be laid on his shoulders, too. To get a certificate for only two weeks' study would be a joke in America, but to these boys, many of whom would never again be given the opportunity to study away from home, a certificate would be treasured all their lives. Lucas did the drawing and much of the hand-printing on the certificates, and they were really pretty. Charles swang right in, drilled and advised on the closing program until it was in the brightest and most interesting we had had, a glad memory to us all. Again, on the platform of small harassments, we had met the power of the Lord and came to know his ability to give the grace of continuance, another school accomplished as per schedule. RSBC in 1944 was held during the summer in comparative quiet as the Japanese had retreated from Penmont. General Stilwell was cutting their supply line. An autumn brought furlough for the Kuhn family. 
We had served for seven years since our last one, and now came the glad news that little girl had been sent back to the States. Old friends of our youth and incidentally treasurers of the CIM in North America, Mr. and Mrs. George Sutherland had taken Catherine to their homes as if she were their own child, and of course she was longing to see us. We waited only until RSBC was over, as Charles could not conduct such a big school all by himself. As we started the long trek home to America, we had several days of truck travel first, and this gave time to think back over the two years just concluded. Two years since Ava, John, and I had come into the canyon, front fringe of the battle line. It was only as I thought back over those two years that I suddenly saw it as a platform. In mind, I watched the line of the battle swing back and forth over Pinmaw Pass, so close to us. And then I suddenly realized that constantly beset with dangers and harassments, we had not only been able to carry out our full normal schedule, but even to see advance. In 1942, we began a Bible school for girls. In 1943, we began a Bible school for boys. In 1943 and 44, we began children's work. Ava was a stimulus, although I had had it in mind for a long time. As soon as she could speak a bit of Lesu, she gathered the children in the Oak Flat Village together for a Bible club every day or evening. Then we emphasized Bible, illustrated the Bible, taught Bible at the girls' Bible school and the RSBC, urging them to be in Sunday schools or Bible clubs in their villages. As I sat back in the rattling old truck and reviewed all of this, I suddenly saw the harassments as a connected series, a platform on which the power of the Lord was manifested, that I might know him. Yes, we had learned much more of him as a helper in the challenge of small daily trials. The scary rumors of alien soldiers approaching, bad weather on assembling days, a wicked and evil magistrate interrupting and requiring to be entertained, hampering with our preparations for the classroom, an undependable goat herd and a billy named Hitler, sickness of a fellow worker, shortness of staff, and non-arrival of essential supplies, each too small and puny to form an arena picture itself, but each like a tiny finger clutching at our coattails to drag us back from victory. The challenge of the platform of small harassments in the arena what is it? It is really the gladiatorial struggle with self-pity, a most unglamorous opponent. So unglamorous that it, he whispers to us, I am not important. Just let me be. How many times we have lost the fight just because we have let self-pity be. I am reminded of a lesson not only preached but lived by Alice McFarlane, principal of the CIM Women's Language School at Yangchow in China. She was a warrior saint who was especially successful in downing the gladiator self-pity. This is the way Alice McFarlane would flourish her sword at that fellow. A rumor of approaching danger? Find out what God wants you to do. Then deliberately put the wind words aside. Press on with your job. Bad weather when your students need dry trails to travel? Take your stand against the power of the air. Ephesians 6, 12-18 In Prayer Claim the victory of Calvary over Satan, Hebrews 2.14. Then press on in preparation for the school, expecting victory. Interrupting guests, unhand the small, clutching fingers of self-pity and rely to the voice that shrieks, I can't do two things at once. Well, take them one at a time then. Trust God for the ability to be gracious to strangers within your gates, but insist that first things come first. Press on with your job. That goat herd's laziness and the mess Hitler made in the storeroom? Do not let this small thing grow until it fills your thoughts. The Lord should fill your horizon always. Nothing else is worthy. Clean up the mess in the storeroom or be content to leave it until you have time. 
but press on with your spiritual work. Sicknesses come down upon us and we stagger with weakness. Well, light your lanyard. Ask him for a promise and press on. Promise supplies are delayed. Do the best you can and refuse to pity yourself. Press on. As we do this, there may come no special vision, no special miracle of deliverance, no special intervention of providence. But after the whole experience is over, you will look back as we did and you will be amazed at the way that you have been carried along by a power not your own. The time will come when you will stand, look back, and gasp. How mighty was the hand of our God with us, yet we knew it not. Sitting there in the old truck, I reviewed our long series of harassments during those two war years, and the thing that stood out most, barely towered above all else, was the goodness of the Lord in helping me. And in my heart, I whispered to him old love words, written first of a pure human love, but oh, so much more applicable. To the perfect love. Lord, I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need. This is a platform of small harassments. God meets us on that level, every day's most quiet need. He will have a new word, a new sweetness, a new fellowship to help us press through to victory. And when the thrill of victory dawns upon us, we will whisper, O Lord, it wasn't in me. It was your sufficiency for every day's most quiet need. And tomorrow we'll read chapter eight, Taunt Nerves. I love you. I'm praying for you. Bye-bye for now.